Hi there, my name is Dr. Kim Farina and I'm a veterinarian and I'm the host of Pause and Reflect with Zoetis, provided to you by Zoetis Pet Care. Welcome to season three. In season one, we learned about ProHeart 12 with the active ingredient moxidectin. And in season two, it was all about Semperica Trio, combination of moxidectin, pyrantal, and seralaner. This season, we will focus on veterinary leadership. So maybe you're thinking, wait, what about the Zoetta products? This season is a bit different from the other seasons, but just as informative, I promise you. We'll give you some great insight about leadership specifically for the veterinary profession. If you are a veterinarian who wants to become a leader, a current leader who wants to sharpen your skills, or you're a veterinarian who wants to explore career pathways that involve leadership, then you have come to the right place. This season, four episodes, four extraordinary guests. They have stories to tell, advice you don't wanna miss, and we'll have some laughs because we have a couple of quizzes thrown in the mix to test your wit. One last thing, you don't have to listen to the episodes in order, but they do have a flow, so it may be helpful for you to listen to them sequentially. Today's guest is Dr. Molly McAllister, a veterinarian who is the Chief Medical Officer of Banfield Pet Hospital. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much, Kim. I'm excited to be here. Well, as you heard, this season we are focusing on leadership in the veterinary profession, and so you are the perfect guest to have on the show. Uh, Let's start off by telling us about your current position as Chief Medical Officer. Yeah, so um, this is a topic I'm so excited about. So as Chief Medical Officer at Banfield, there's really two arms to what I do. Um, One arm, and, and really one of my top priorities, is the support of our doctors in the Banfield hospitals. So we have about 3,800 doctors across the hospital who are across the nation who work for us. And so I ultimately am responsible for them and their leadership support system um, as a manager, as a leader. I also lead a team of about 25 people at our corporate headquarters who work in a support capacity, making sure that those doctors and hospitals have what they need to do their jobs. Um, So that's kind of the the day-to-day. But when I actually think about what I do um, and the work that I lead, it falls into three buckets. The first is to be an advocate for our doctors. So when I took this position, I had the realization that on our senior leadership team, among the 10 senior leaders, I'm the only one who's a veterinarian. I'm the only one who's worked in a veterinary hospital. And so it's really important and I think I feel a lot of responsibility to help them understand what it is to be a veterinary professional and what it is to work in a hospital and have things go well. Um, So that's definitely a huge part of my job. A second part is I'm responsible for our medical quality. And so that's everything from the systems, the equipment, the drugs that we have in our hospitals and how we ensure that they're providing safe and effective care to also thinking about how we see pets that need to be seen, how we stay open, um, how we ensure that we're delivering quality care to the pets who come come in and need us. And then the third part is that I act as a liaison for Banfield externally. Um, so as some of your listeners may know, I or Banfield, excuse me, is part of the Mars Veterinary Health Group. And Mars um, also owns VCA and Blue Pearl, as well as a couple of other um, corporate entities globally. 
And so I interface with the chief medical officers at those businesses. We share learnings and best practices. Uh, we try to achieve you know, the, the best quality medicine that we can across the breadth of what we do. And then I also interface with the profession. So great suppliers like Zoetis or conferences, um, the AVMA, uh, working to help create and craft the future for our profession. So that's yeah. a, little bit of, a little bit of what I do. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> but you but you didn't graduate from Oregon State University College of Veterinary Medicine and just arrive immediately at this spot. So what was your career path to get to this position that you're in now? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I will preface it by saying, in fact, if you had told me on the day of my graduation that I would be in this role someday, I, I would have probably bet you everything that was in my, you know, the small amount of money in my savings account at the time, I probably would have bet it all to say, oh, I, there's no way I can't imagine that happening. So it's been a, a very serendipitous path, but um, but one I am so grateful for. So, you know, I, I would say that the high level overview um, when I was in veterinary school, my father, who's a, a human surgeon, told me, you know, the thing you should do with your career is become the very best expert on one thing so that everybody looks to you for that one thing. And that sounded really boring to me. No, no, you know, no, um, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to, I, I don't want to put that down for people who do enjoy that. But for my personality, that approach to my career wasn't going to work. And so I was interested in a lot of things and I cultivated that interest throughout veterinary school in terms of the classes I took and the externships I did. So when I graduated, um, you know, the quick path is I did an equine internship. I spent a couple of years in equine medicine and decided it wasn't quite the right fit for me. I practiced small animal medicine for a while. I even did a year of wildlife medicine at a rehabilitation facility. And then I got into industry. I had always loved education and I found that a role in industry let me leverage my background in teaching with my clinical knowledge. And I loved bringing those two together. And so that was with Royal Canin. And that led me into the Mars family of businesses and ultimately um, brought me over to Banfield, where I've held several different roles um, and was really excited because in that integration or, or that um, aspect of my career with joining Mars, I was able to also think more broadly about what I was interested in. I'd always had an interest in One Health and in public health. And so I was able to um, start an executive MPH program, a master's in public health, and got that a few years ago, um, which has been a great addition as I've kind of gone through a career pathway at Banfield. So I hope that it's been a great adventure and I hope it's not over yet. No, it sounds like it's not now, but I want to go back to the degree in, in public health. Was that essential to your journey? I mean, what did that degree equip you with? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So was it essential? You know, what could somebody get to where I am without the degree? Sure, absolutely. But what the master's in public health lent to me was a, a more, a deeper dive into understanding health systems, healthcare systems, and population health. That was that was my interest growing going into it. And I think it's reflective of, of how I felt in clinical practice. I loved clinical practice. I loved my patients. I loved my clients. Um, but I realized after numerous years is that at the end of the day, 
I could only touch a finite number of animals. And I had hopes of doing something for a bigger population, for a bigger group of animals. And so that's been something I've been able to do as my career has evolved. And the master's in public health helped me think about how to do that in a more structured way and in a more process-oriented way. And so it's been really helpful as I've navigated um, what it is to influence our profession, to think about, think more broadly about how the veterinary profession is evolving, to learn from human healthcare and think about what's transferable and how we're different. So I, I'm so grateful I got that degree. And I'm, I'm glad to see that a lot of veterinarians are starting to, um, there's the dual DVM MPH programs that they can do. So again, I wouldn't say it's a necessity, but I think it's a really nice way to add perspective to a veterinary degree. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and to follow up on that question, what other skills do you need to become chief medical officer? You know, looking at your pathway, what skills really percolate to the surface that, that yeah. are like, oh, that's key for this position? Yeah, well, you know, I think first I will call out, uh, this is my own personal opinion, but I think there's sort of two types of chief medical officers in our profession. I think that um, in many of our, in, in many of the businesses or the, um, um, yeah, the, the businesses, whether it's pharmaceutical, whether it's corporate veterinary practice, they look to the chief medical officer to be a medical expert. And that, you know, that's somebody who really has that deep clinical knowledge and experience and research, maybe academia. I'm not that person. Uh, so I think there's also a role for a chief medical officer who is more of the broad people leader and more of the um, the person who is, you know, helping to move business forward in a way that is synergistic with what it is to do clinical medicine. So that's more of, of the role that I'm in um, and where I thrive. And so for that, what I found to be really important, I would say first and foremost, is communication skills whether it's just listening to people and gathering perspective that helps me make decisions and helps me create a future vision, that's important. I think also acting as a translator. Um, and what I mean by that is that I have found more and more in leadership roles that there is huge value in being able to translate clinical medicine to people who aren't healthcare professionals. So whether it's business people, whether it's our IT team, whether it's our HR team, helping them understand what's going on in a clinical environment and why. And then likewise, the translation back, helping our hospital teams understand, you know, how an IT team works and how they make decisions about software or why our finance team, you know, makes decisions about certain metrics in our reporting. Um, so that translational piece has been really, really important. And then, you know, a couple of others I, I'll add. I, perspective, I think, has been huge. It's been really beneficial to me to have a broad variety in terms of my career background because I can pull from so many different situations, scenarios, and, and opportunities and bring that to life. And that's been great. And then it, I probably couldn't skip over saying, you know, a little bit of political savvy or, or you might say organizational agility, knowing how to get things done. How do you, you know, it, it's great when you lead people and you can just, um, and I mean this a little bit in farce, but, you know, tell people what to do. I, that's not really any part of my job. But I, you know, I think a big part of being a leader is influencing people and understanding how to get things done through different channels, understanding what makes different people tick 
and how you can achieve a greater purpose um, by bringing people along with you. And you, th- those are excellent points from the communications to the translator skills to the perspective. Is there anything specific like what makes a good veterinary leader? Is there anything specific for veterinarians? Yeah. So, gosh, is this specific? I certainly have thought a lot about leadership. Um, and I would say I don't know that there's anything purely unique about being a veterinary leader, but I think there's some aspects of good leadership that we can leverage to our benefit even more. So um, first first thing that always comes to mind when I think about leadership is the importance of caring for people, being people-centered. Um, you know, some call it servant leadership, um, but I would say you know, empathy and compassion for people and the ability to listen to them is huge. But I would also pair that with, it's not just about being nice. It's about pushing people and developing people and helping them achieve things that they didn't think were possible. And I think that's unique in a veterinary environment because might I say we're not the most um, change agile profession. (laughs) Most of us are, you know, most of us are relatively analytical. We're pretty black and white. We kind of like to live in our comfort zone and we don't like to be pushed out of it. And so I think as a veterinary leader, it takes some very unique people skills to to work with, you know, I'm making broad generalizations, obviously, but to work with our personality type and help people get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable, because I think that's a crucial role as a leader. And then I'll go back to the, the word perspective. Um, you know, again, many of us, broad generalization, many of us have been quite focused on our path to becoming a veterinarian. We've taken certain classes with the same people. We've followed a very similar path. And so we, we graduate from school and we may not have had the opportunity to have a breadth of, of life experiences or career experiences from which to draw on. And so I think that the more that we can as leaders or as aspiring leaders, the more that we can talk to other people, learn their perspectives and think about how that influences you and the teams you lead is just hugely valuable. So there, there's a couple of thoughts from me. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. I think that was perfect. Well, up next, we are going to get more advice about the things you do during our early careers. But first, it's actually time for a break. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but you are a new guest on Pause and Reflect with Zoetis. And in each episode, we do have quizzes on topics that have nothing to do with veterinary medicine. Okay, here's one of them. (laughs) This quiz is a favorite and it's called Not My Career. And it's a quiz about an occupation that you likely know nothing about. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) So today's occupation is mystery author. I'm going to ask you three multiple choice questions about literary mysteries and you tell me the answer. Okay. You have nothing to lose, Dr. McAllister. I, I know. I'm very happy because I think there's, there's no prize. Um, our, our producer can play some like canned sound effects and I have this okay. bell when you get it right. So okay. um, there you go. <laughs> All right. Here we go. No, I have, I have a lot of faith. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Question one of not my career. There are some definite must-haves for a mystery to be a success. That's what the experts say, at least. 
All of these elements are required in a mystery except one. Is it A, crime, B, a sleuth, C, a villain, or D, a cook? D is a cook, like a person who cooks food? <laughs> wow. Um, well, I, that seems too obvious. And so I think I'm going to have to go with A. There doesn't have to be a crime. Oh, no, no, it is the cook. It is the obvious one. Oh, no. I was trying to outsmart the quiz. And where does that get me? Okay. Really? All right. Well, I thought maybe that was a cool thing. There should be food in every mystery. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. And here I am thinking I'll make the first one really easy. So. <laughs> I, as they say, it never hurt, it never pays to try to outsmart the test. So anyway, yes. doesn't every sleuth need to eat? Every sleuth well, needs to eat. Hey, great point. Great point. You know what? So, so here, a little bell. Okay. 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 For the creativity okay. of your answer. Question number two. This is a hoot. A good mystery throws the reader off track, okay? Red herrings are another essential element in mysteries. The false clues build tension by creating other suspects and distracting the detective and the reader from the real culprit. Who was the red herring in the Harry Potter book, The Prisoner of Azkaban? Ready? Mm -hmm. A, Sirius Black. B, Albus Dumbledore. C, Harry Potter. Or D, Peter Pettigrew. Ooh, okay, hold on. Um, gosh, I'm reading these with my five-year-old, but we had to stop because he got too scared. So we yeah. haven't gotten to that book yet. Okay, I think it is, I'm just trying to remember, um, Sirius Black is his uncle, isn't it? I think it's Sirius Black. You are correct. Yes! yes. Very, yes. Yes, okay, anyway. Yay. All right, so now this is question number three. I have a list of detectives that are... Um, incorrectly one of them is incorrectly mismatched with its author in these pairs that i'm gonna read okay. to you okay. which one is incorrectly matched okay so we have a sherlock holmes and sir arthur conan doyle okay b miss marple and agatha christie c encyclopedia brown and donald j sobel or d inspector clouseau and stephen king which ones don't go together? Stephen King and Inspector Crusoe. Very good. Yay, oh my God. Okay. Yes. That would never be a match, right? Can you <laughs> right. Pink Panther, Stephen King? No. Do you read mysteries in your spare time? I have not read a mystery in a long time, unless you count Harry Potter as a mystery. I, I would. Would you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, then, yes. Yes. I'm, it's by my bedside right now, in fact. <laughs> All right, let's get back to our question. So what okay. general advice would you give to veterinarians who are interested in becoming a leader within their organization? Mm, yeah. So I would say um, this is this is a piece of advice co-opted from many genius people as I was searching for my own career path. So number one, I would say there is it will never hurt you to get just some solid clinical experience wherever it wherever it may be. You know, if it's small animal, if it's large animal, if it's exotics, just getting that opportunity to use what you learn during your veterinary years, because I, I believe it's like riding a bike. If you practice for a year or two, you solidify those skills. They're always in your back pocket. They're always helpful to refer to. And um, and you won't ever totally forget them. You might get rusty, but, but you can always go back to them. And I think that that's a great thing to do when you've invested four years and time and money in a, in a veterinary degree. But then from the standpoint of leadership, you know, I think they're number one, 
if you if you're in a clinic that wears white coats, I mean, when you put on a white coat or when you put that stethoscope around your neck and you walk into an exam room and talk to a client, you are a leader. People are looking to you for advice. And so I think, number one, just owning that empowerment and and leaning into that fact that you are a really knowledgeable expert. Therefore, you will be leading people in making decisions. And when you sort of embrace that, it can can do great things just for your perspective of who you are. Because so much of this is about believing in yourself as a leader and then helping other people believe in that vision as well. So that that's number one, just, just embracing the empowerment that you have as a veterinarian. And then I think there are so many opportunities in a day-to-day clinic operations for you to gain leadership experience. It might be presenting a case or something during a team meeting or a lunch and learn. It might be um, taking on a new modality of care or some sort of new medicine or piece of equipment that your teams want to bring on and someone needs to lead the way and figure out how to make it work in the practice. I think that's a great way to do it. And if if you're an associate veterinarian with a leader or with an owner that you're working with, I think in generally, those people are really excited to teach young, interested vets about what it is to to own or to lead the practice. And so asking questions, asking how they make decisions, offering up your ideas, I think there's just great opportunities in that environment itself, not to mention what you can do if you think about your veterinary community outside of your clinic. Mm-hmm. And this is very interesting because I wanted to talk about being in clinical practice. Say one of our listeners is interested or is a, an associate veterinarian in a Banfield hospital right now who's interested in moving into corporate leadership. What are some of the career pathways they can take from there, assuming that they've done some of the things that you've just talked about? Yeah. Um, so I love this question because we our profession is in such an exciting time. The way we're growing, the way we're evolving, there are so many opportunities. So, you know, if I if I'm gonna just to to kind of not get too far down a rabbit hole because I could talk forever about this, I think there's probably three main ways that you could um, grow your career as a leader in a corporate environment. Number one is the obvious. You are you become you know a, a proficient clinician. You want to lead a hospital. You gain those leadership skills to be a chief of staff or a medical director, you know, depending on what your organization calls it. You lead a hospital. And then maybe you decide, hey, I want to try a stab at leading multiple hospitals. And you become a multi-unit leader. And you sort of rise up the ranks in that fashion. And I think that's the pathway that comes to most people's minds when they think about how they could elevate their career. But there's numerous other ways, um, one of which I'll say, we find within Banfield, there's quite a few veterinarians who really enjoy the practice management side of things. Um, they like clinical medicine, but they love the, the business aspect of it. And so in our organization, we have paired leadership, um, starting at a hospital level and going all the way to our senior leadership team, where I, as chief medical officer, partner with our chief operating officer. And so many of our veterinarians have made the decision that they want to become what we call an operations leader. Um, so more focused on the business aspect of the clinic and 
rise up the leadership ranks in that realm. And I think it would be fabulous if one of these days we end up with a chief operating officer who's a veterinarian. Not No, no offense to our current <laughs> chief operating officer, but that would be great. And then I think another way is to think about, to, to really think outside of the box and think about how you might leverage other skills or interests that you have to bring to, to benefit the corporation. So for example, when I came to Banfield, I actually entered Banfield through our HR organization, and I was in charge of our medical le learning. Um, so I wasn't even part of our veterinary team initially. We have veterinarians who work in HR, who work in our marketing team, who even who work and lead in our IT team. And they are hugely valuable because they're bringing their, their clinical background to play in a totally different world. But the reality is we're a veterinary business. And so the, the perspective that they can bring is, is invaluable. Um, so, you know, those are just a few. I could go on forever, but I would say if somebody has interest in leadership and they don't, the path that they see ahead of them doesn't seem to be quite the right fit, I would encourage them, reach out to me, reach out, you know, reach out to others in the profession and have them help you think creatively about what the right path for you might be. That's brilliant. I think that's the the point you just said, I think are spot on because as you said, it can be from IT to HR. Mm -hmm. There's still that veterinarian, you know, part of it that is key to really being a success in, in any of these areas. So that's, that's terrific. All right. Well, we're going to hit the pause button on the interview for a moment for another quiz. But on the <laughs> flip side, I'd love for you to just share more knowledge with us. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. Sure. Okay, great. All right. So here we go. Um, let's see how well you know your idioms. And oh, no. <laughs> an idiom, don't worry, is a phrase or expression that typically presents a figurative or non-literal meaning attached to the phrase. So Thank I'll read it again and okay. you tell me what it means. Now, okay. again, no prizes. But okay. I've got the bell and you might just get some inner pride knowing that, you know, something like beyond veterinary medicine, like our quirky English language. You know? <laughs> Excellent. And, you know, operant conditioning works with me, too. The bell is an amazing, you know, internal reward. So <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm all ready. right. Here we go. Number one, when someone says break a leg, what do they mean? A, don't fall on the stairs. B, be careful, the table is wobbly. C, good luck. Or D, repair a fracture. Thank you for being easy on me. Uh, we'll go with C, good luck, please. Excellent, very nice. <laughs> if someone describes you as wet behind the ears, what are they saying about you? A, you're inexperienced and naive. B, you have otitis. C, you just got out of the shower. Or D, you, you have hairstyling gel that's, you know, stuck here. <laughs> I'm going to go with A, a little inexperienced. Very good. Nicely done. You're doing well. All right. Number three, if an adult says, shh, little pitchers have big ears, what should you do? A, put a baseball hat on your child's head. B, stop talking because little kids understand more than what you think. C, go play catch with your niece. Or D, or D drink out of a cup with a handle like a pitcher. <laughs> Let's go with B for sure. Yes. Yes. And I know you have young children. It, they have enormous ears, don't they? Oh like, my gosh, it's amazing. And my yeah. five-year-old started learning to spell, so we can't even spell things anymore. Yeah, it's not cool. You have to, <laughs> like they're like radar. Um, yeah. 
So, all right, let's go back to our interview. We're having so much fun. Thank you so much. (laughs) You have made many contributions to Banfield, including developing the first functional skills training program, establishing strong professional conference partnerships, and launching, of course, the Veterinary Emerging Topics Report. And these contributions really required partnerships within the Banfield family, as well as beyond the company. What are some examples of leadership career pathways a veterinarian can take outside of Banfield? Like from your perspective, what could, what did you see that are some pathways? Yeah. You know, again, I'll go back to, it's such an exciting time in our profession with so many different influencers. So I think, you know, Kim, you and I both have experience working in industry um, from a nutrition standpoint. And, you know, I think there's So many companies that are, whether it's pharmaceuticals, whether it's biomedical companies, where they're looking for a veterinarian and and even that has so many different opportunities. So it might be someone to interface with other veterinary colleagues and veterinary students and teach about products. Or it might be somebody to help them, you know, create a marketing strategy or to um, create a, a, you know, a long term business strategy. So I think great opportunities within industry, I think in government and more public health type jobs. I mean, we are veterinarians are crucial, you know, in this time of of covid, we've been seeing how important veterinary labs are and in um testing and potentially developing a vaccine for coronavirus. And so that's a great place to to leverage leadership desires and and grow your career. And then I look at just some of the new organizations when I think about um, the North American veterinary community and some of the work that they're doing. Uh, The Viticus Group or or the formerly WVC, they're using veterinarians in so many different ways to help um, you know, advance our profession and and leverage the skill sets to develop great continuing education. So it's you know it's hard to pick just a few because there are so many different opportunities, and that's where I think you know sometimes just sitting down and having a conversation with someone who's a mentor or a, even a sponsor who can help you think about. What are your skill sets? What are your interests? What are your aspirations? And how might you put all of those together and you know try a few, try a few different uh, routes forward in your career? Um, because the possibilities are endless. Yeah. What do you wish you had known at the early stages of your career that you didn't know then, but you definitely know now? What have you learned? Yeah, I would say um, I, I'd say two things. I'll say your skills as a veterinarian are immensely transferable. And when you take a step back from what you do day to day and you think about what it is to collect a history, to do a physical exam, to make a diagnosis and to come up with a treatment plan just as a basic you know, learning that we have coming out of school, that is applicable to so many different environments. And so you can, um, you can flex what you've learned to apply it for all sorts of different outcomes. And then I'll go back to the what I said with the last question is just that, again, the opportunities are endless. And we, I think the veterinary schools are doing a better job of showing what those opportunities are. But I think that with the rate that our society is growing and changing, the schools can't be expected to keep up. And so just knowing that if you have a passion for pets, if you have a passion for animals, for medicine, for public health, 
you can leverage that in so many different ways. And you've invested four years to get skills that will never fail you. So I know that many people, you know, we all go through rough patches in our careers and highs and lows and, you know, wondering where, where to go and what's the right choice. And what I continue to be energized by is that you can go anywhere in the veterinary profession. And so it's just a matter of, you know, mapping out your course and, and finding the one that works for you. And I, I didn't know that on graduation. And I am so happy to just profess that to as many people as I can today. How inspiring. Wonderful. I love it. We are out of time right now, but thank you so much, Dr. McAllister, for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on the show and so fun. Really. You're welcome. It was great to chat with you. And thank you so, so much for this opportunity. Thank you. Okay. This has been the final episode of season three of Pause and Reflect with Zoetis, but don't be disappointed. There will be more seasons coming up. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to, and you will be notified when it launches. I'm Dr. Kim Farina, and this has been Pause and Reflect with Zoetis. Season four is on its way. 